Welcome back to Third Base Dugout episode 83 and the news that we have been waiting for for 99 days is finally here. Those beautiful words on Jeff Passon's Twitter that said baseball is back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. We're back and better than ever. Because there is no more ghost runner on second base to start extra innings. We're better than ever already. <laughs> that that was one I actually didn't mind. Like, I wouldn't have mind seeing that one for regular season games. Like, you know, you want to speed up the game, cool. But, hey, I'm just happy we got baseball. Like, oh, same here. You know, and it's not badminton or, <laughs> you know, sloping softball right now. Yeah, right. You know, it's actually baseball, so I'm excited. I look. I enjoyed for the last couple of weeks watching college baseball, and I'll I'll enjoy it for the next couple of weeks during spring training. I'm not a big. I'm not a much of a spring training watcher. I don't really. I don't really watch much spring training. I might just because I'm amped up that baseball's back, but right. I, I don't really watch a lot of spring training. I might if like Torque and Riley Green are playing that that uh, that afternoon or something. But other than other than that, I wait. I'm away for April seventh. I'm watching college baseball in the meantime. Probably go to a couple college baseball games and. You know what? I'm just happy that we have those great words to live by right now. That baseball is back and that yeah. free agency is back open. Yeah, I expect it to get crazy here, like real soon. Because no one's done anything. Nothing. Nothing. Like I think everybody was a little shocked that it actually happened today. <laughs> so agents' phones are probably blowing up right now. But you know, with spring training starting the 17th, so we got what like. A little bit less than a week, or a little bit more than a week. I thought I thought it starts thirteenth, or that might be when they report to camp. Yeah, I think, I think thirteenth uh, might be when they report. Fair enough. So fourteenth. So if that's the case, we got four days, you know, for for guys to get locked in, and there's some big names that are going to get some big deals mm-hmm. here shortly, you know, and then get on a flight <laughs> somewhere, yeah, somewhere warm to to get ready for for a season. And the uh, news that has come out is that like per people's sources uh whether it be agents or owners or uh, gms etc their sources are saying that when the ball drops in free agency like when when free agency begins basically when, when the first person signs it's going to be a frenzy and i'm just waiting for that first ball to drop and i'm like it's going to it's going to be like someone like small it's going to be like josh harrison goes to the diamondbacks or something and it's going to be like what on earth? And then all of a sudden, Carlos Correa gets 340. Trevor Story gets 290. Like, it's like everyone's just going to be like, it, it, everything's just going to come through because in all reality, there's no way no one was tampering during that lockout. There's oh, yeah. zero chance no one was talking to anybody. I was expecting a deal to come out at like 601 when they say free agency began that Correa was signing like to start off just because I expected the tampering. Like as it got closer, I figured that Boris was on his phone and, you know, working a deal already. Um, but yeah, it's going to be wild because you also got to think about the trades that are about to happen for people that miss out. I mean, yeah. it's going to be, hopefully it's going to be the, the mayhem that we all want in a good way. You know, be able to see some of these moves that's going, it's going to really reshape, you know, baseball, which to be honest is absolutely needed because now bring some of that excitement back, right? So this yeah. last, you know, let's just call it 100 days. With baseball being on a strike, yeah, you're expecting a cold period, but now that you're going to have some news and it brings back that excitement, people are going to get, you know, re-energized about their teams. 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like, I make sure my phone stays charged, even if I'm at work, yeah. you know, at my desk. <laughs> oh, man. If something we're, happens. We're going to wake up tomorrow and, like, Carlos Correa is going to be wearing a new uniform. Trevor Story is going to be wearing a new uniform. Clayton Kershaw is going to be wearing a new uniform. I mean, like, everyone that we know as who they played for will be no longer. Like, it, Carlos Correa will no longer be an Astro. Or my Freddie Freeman, yeah, for example, which we'll talk about that later in the episode. We'll talk about all the free agent signings later in the episode uh, and where we think they'll be going. Um, before we get into the CBA and the deal that, that was – done today that was agreed upon today make sure you go follow us on twitter at third base dugout make sure you follow us on spotify third base dugout and search column pretty easy you're listening to it already so i'm pretty sure you might have found it on spotify already and but hit that follow button because you know what you can still get those notifications when we do post episodes and you won't have to miss one so and now that baseball's back we're gonna be you know locking back into our normal you know, our normal get up where it's seemingly every week, you know, we got something to talk about now. You know, yeah. we, we took a break just as much as they did just because really there's nothing to talk about. You know, so now being able to have something to sit and talk shop, talk shop, we're ready for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get it. Let's go over the CBA. So new deal, which is a four year deal, uh, starts this year and it goes until 2026. Um, in which we will hopefully not have another lockout when that comes up, but let's we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think let's just be thankful for what we have right now. Um, the first bit to go over is the minimum salary for players that enter the league, and that starts at seven hundred thousand this year, goes up by twenty thousand every year until uh, through twenty twenty six. So it ends at seven eighty. So seven hundred thousand this year ends at seven eighty thousand uh, in twenty twenty six. So I think that is good. You get the young guys paid more as soon as they come out of the minor leagues where they're making dirt. They get to come into the league and they they get their pay raised a little bit more so that they're not uh, so that they're not in the dust too much when they when they get up here. Yeah, win win. You know because now. <clears throat> Even though ownership is going to look at it, you know what I mean, still you're paying them more, you know, as soon as they come up, it's still not a crazy, crazy amount, you know, so it can still incentivize owners to go ahead and bring those guys up, stop manipulating service time and say, hey, look, this 700K, you know, for this year, okay, cool. You know I mean? If you think about it, Wander Franco, granted he's the exception to the rule right now, but he definitely outplayed you know, that rookie scale contract, you know, from, from last year. So you're going to get your value for it. Go ahead and bring the guys up. Keep, keep the trains rolling. I mean, you want to talk about guys that outplayed their rookie contract. Corbin Burns and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are still on rookie contracts. They are still making less than $650,000 a year. That's yeah. unbelievable. And that's an, that's a Cy Young winner in the NL in the yeah. national league and an MVP in an MVP runner up. In yeah, the second and, and the, yeah. yeah, like it's unbelievable. Hey, that, which again is more incentive for owners to bring guys up, right? Like, I mean, yes, you know they they're gonna start tapping some pockets here soon, you know, with arbitration coming up for for both of them, you know. But at the same time, you know, if you can get wins and pack out stadiums, 
you know, because of those guys, owners, you win, right? Like you win in that case, players get to eat a little bit more and, you know, everybody wins in that situation. Yes, they do. All right, moving on here. Uh, the competitive balance tax threshold, which this uh, is basically to stop uh, tanking. Uh, it is set at $230 million. This is one that they were pretty far apart on for a while. Uh, yeah. it, it starts at $230 million in 2022, goes all the way up to $244. Um, that is basically um, – it addresses what they call runaway spending. Uh, and so it takes away the tanking aspect where you – Basically, in order to compete, you've got to get to that number of two hundred and thirty million. And so, um, and so it's. Um, oh well, I misunderstood that one. Then. So I, I was definitely in the dark on that one. I thought that was uh, the tax for, and I very well could be wrong. I thought that was a tax luxury for, tax. Yeah, the luxury tax. That's on my. That's my no. bad. I think I okay. uh, mixed up too. Um, but yes, sorry, that is the luxury tax yeah. threshold. Um, yeah. and so, um, and it still goes to runaway spending though, from the sense of the Dodgers or the Yankees or those huge market teams can't have $400 million payrolls with no, you know, with no downside to it, you know, they have to pay the tax, you know, of going above those numbers, but you know, it, it does balance it out because then teams are looking at the higher end of the payroll. I will say, granted, I'm not complaining because obviously we got baseball back. I would have liked to have seen though a minimum spending, like a floor, right? Like teams must spend X amount of dollars, you know, and if they get penalized just as much as going over that, you know, over the competitive balance, if they have a floor that they can't go below again, so you keep teams, you know, competitive, you have some parity there, you know, in the game, incentivize players to stay longer, right? Like, I mean, granted, nobody really wants to play in Pittsburgh right now, but if you have a guy that is saying, hey, I can still make the same amount of money somewhere else, sure, I'll stay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, next one to go over and arbitration. I, I, I have followed baseball for so long, and arbitration is still such a blurry aspect of the baseball realm in my mind. However, the... MLB implemented, uh, excuse me, MLB implemented a $50 million pre-arbitration bonus pool basically to get the, it, it will go to the young players that are not eligible for arbitration yet. And so that, that, that pool will go to those players. Um, and um, it says here on MLB.com, it's to be distributed to the top 100 players based on awards and statistical performance. Uh, so that's where that 50 million can go to. Yeah. So um, another thing incentivizes the young players and, and allows them to get paid a little bit more when they come up. And the, the interesting nugget I've seen there is because we talked about Corbin Burns not so long ago. Under this system, he, his salary would have jumped from 608000 to 4.2 million last season off of winning the Cy Young, Unreal. right? So again, those young players coming up, you know, you top 100 out of those, you know, pre-arbitration, you know, players, you know, you, you have a chance to really start making some real money before you even get to your first deal. So, mm -hmm. you know, definitely a, a huge win there for the players um, coming up on that one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, always uh, arbitration is such a very controversial topic and players hate it. Owners also kind of hate it. Um, it's, it's some, one of those things that's very uh, unique to MLB and, and uh, has always been a very gray area in my mind, but um, as long as you can help the young players, I'm all for it. Um, the draft lottery, this is something very new to MLB and a lot of players are, are, are questioning it or asking like, okay, how is this all going to work, et cetera. And I think you look at some other sports that have the draft lottery, like the, like NHL, like uh, the NBA, where, uh, so the top six selections in the draft will be awarded via lottery and odds will be based on the, on the reverse order of winning percentage. So worst winning percentage on up um, with the bottom three clubs, each at 16.5%. And so this is where it de-incentivizes tanking. Yep. So the lottery, if you tank, sure, you might get a better percentage in the lottery, but there's no guarantee you get the number one pick. There's no yep. guarantee you even get the top three picks. Yep. And so got teams like the Pirates, teams like the Orioles, Etc. The uh, Diamondbacks, um, they maybe might try to win a few more games now. Who knows? Yeah, because I mean, you. Whereas before, you've had the worst record. You got the first pick. You know, so you would really put out a bunch of scrubs on the field. Like if you knew, let's just say Bryce Harper was that prospect that's coming up right now, and you wanted to draft him you could intentionally lose to get Bryce Harper but now it's a you know it's a lottery it's a little bit of a crapshoot mm-hmm. that you may not get the first pick you know you might get yeah you might have a bottom three record but you only get the third pick so now you know all the tanking that you did still didn't amount to the player that you wanted um you know so I've I've I like it you know I'm, I'm also an NBA fan of how they do theirs that you have the draft lottery. I do like the fact they didn't try to put too many teams in it. Um, but, you know, six teams, bottom six uh, teams will get an equal chance to a degree of getting that number one pick, you know, but everyone else is like, okay, well, shoot, is it really worth us being at six when there's a clear cut number one? Yes, some years you're going to be like, oh, it's a lot of guys that could possibly go number one, but is it worth it for us to be that bad on this prospect? So here is actually, I think we both just got mixed up. So the top six selections will be awarded via the lottery. So basically, uh, but however, the 18 non-postseason clubs, which we'll talk about the 12-team postseason here in a minute, the 18 non-postseason clubs would be eligible for the lottery. So like you can go, say, 83 and and 79 Mm -hmm. and – you're eligible for the number one pick in the draft. Yep. And, but the bottom three clubs each have the highest percentages at 16 and a half. Yeah. And that's very much like the, so not to cross sports too much, but that's very much like the NBA, right? The NBA just has a lottery for the bottom 13 teams. Um, But in that, the 13th team might have a 0.001% of getting the number one pick. So, I mean, it's still a chance for them to get it. You know, it's just that their odds obviously aren't as great as, you know, the team that has the worst record. Um, But again, like I said, you could, again, tank and get the worst record and still not get, you know, a a top five pick in some ways if stuff shakes out that way. Yeah. Um, I won't jump too far in the future, but I also think that we'll see 
probably in the next CBA, which gosh, it pains me to talk about it right now <laughs> after one just ended it. Um, the ability to trade draft picks. MLB is like the only sport where you can't trade draft picks, mm -hmm. but now putting a lottery system in, you may have some teams that say, Hey, look, you know, throwing a random name out there, like, Hey, we're going to trade for Juan Soto. We have the number one pick this year, or we have a top five pick in the draft. You know, we'll send you that pick plus these players and these prospects. Um, so I see coming down the line that draft picks will be able to be traded uh, MLB in the MLB because of, you know, these things. So. I don't know if we'll end up getting to that point or not because the minor leagues are so large where you like they're basically like draft picks at mm -hmm. this point. I mean, you're, you're basically trading players that are already there rather than basically ghost players. And I mean, you've got a, you've got a huge draft and you've got a huge farm system. Like, I, I don't know if we'll ever get the draft picks. Uh, I, I don't know. But don't know. okay. So I, I look at it this way again, because every year you're going to have, a top five, you know, in the draft that you're thinking are going to be franchise altering, right? So let's just, again, use Bryce Harper for that example. If he's a consensus number one pick or he's one of those top guys, if you have a chance to trade for him because you think that he can ex accelerate through your minor league system, I could see teams making that trade, you know, for that draft pick. Yes, you already have players in the form, but you're trying to go after this guy who, one, has the hype behind him, who's going to fill out seats, you know, even in your minor leagues, but then also being able to accelerate through. And maybe that speeds up your rebuild at your major league level. Or maybe you're already a contending team and like, hey, this kid could be the one, you know, we like his skills that could push us over the top, you know. And then, you know, it turns almost very much like, you know, in some ways like the NBA and the NFL, where it's like, hey, we have a good team, but we want this guy to come in, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, so, I mean, again, let's not talk. My bad. I started this. But let's not talk next CBA. Let's get through. Let's get through the pain of this. One I'm right with you. I am right with you. Um, all right. Next on the docket, the international draft. So uh, they uh, they are still. So the inter international draft is. Uh, is currently agreed upon to agree upon. It makes almost no sense. So they haven't necessarily agreed upon it. However, it is in the CBA. Um, so if they agree on the international draft by July 25th, MLB will eliminate the qualifying offer system, which creates the compensatory round in the MLB draft at the um, end of the first round. And the international draft will be 20 rounds, over 600 uh, selections, increasing the total compensation earned by amateurs by more than 20 million annually. So when they get drafted, you get a larger signing bonus, which also, again, more power to you. You're, you got drafted to the MLB. To MLB. That's fantastic. Uh, here, Here's more money. So... Um, I know a lot of international players spoke out against this, so I, I don't know exactly what's going to come out of it. But I know David Ortiz was very, very against it. Um, I think I think it was yesterday he came out with that, where he was very displeased with that with the idea. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I'm I think okay with it, but I, I don't really. To me, it's just such a – it's a minor deal, comparatively right. speaking. Um, 
so I'll play advocate on that side. You you have guys that yes, a team can spend at, under the current system, right? When they're signing international amateurs, they have a certain pool that they can, you know, draft for or pool that they can spend on, right? So you think back to guys like uh, Yasiel Puig, Jonas Cespedes, they were able to get these big money deals way early. Um, now, if you put that in a draft, it's going to the draft in my mind would flow similar to how it is in the regular amateur draft, where there's a slot that they that they can't go above or really go too much further above. So yes, individual players kind of lose that, you know, lose that steam there. That if you're saying, hey, as the number one pick in the international draft, you can only make or your top offer can be four million, but yet in this open market that it was a team might have gave you six million, right? You so you still lose that two million, but I, I think that in this case, it actually can be very positive, you know, because now again, things spread out a little bit, right? Uh, you're not always getting those guys that have that inside track to some of the Cuban stars all going to one team or the majority of them going in one direction. So I think that it actually can be a, a bonus for them because one of the other points that hit into it later was that um, clubs who select players from growth countries, so as countries with less than 0.5% of signings in the previous three signing periods, will receive additional selections to incentivize scouting and signing in emerging markets. So you dig deeper and you say, hey, okay, instead of going to the Dominican Republic where there's going to be a lot of guys drafted out of there, let's find another smaller country you know, to, to draft from now I get additional picks, I get additional prospects, you know, and go from there. So yep. I think, I think, yes, big poppy was obviously, you know, looking out for a lot of international players, you know, at that point. But I think that once it's actually in practice, then I think that it actually be a better thing than, than what they're thinking right now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be d- definitely something new. Um, and look, I, I, it's tradition versus innovation at this point. It's, it's basically yeah. trying, trying new things to hope it sticks. Um, let's, let's hop into some rule changes here. Um, basically they created a, a committee almost a uh, four. So it'll be four active players and six uh, members appointed by Major League Baseball and then one umpire, and they'll be tasked with adopting changes to playing rules such as like pitch clock, base size, defensive positioning, and automatic ball and strike zone. So none of that happens this year. Just wanted to clarify that up. No pitch clock uh, changes this year. No base size changes this year. No shift changes this year. No robo umps changes this year. Baseball is still the basically the same baseball this year. Um, it's, it's a lot of the money aspects that goes into this and that's why there's the lockout, but let's, um, let's go into the actual other details. There is the universal DH, which I am, I'm big on. I, I love the universal DH. I think it adds an exciting aspect to the game because home runs draw fans and, and it's just the way it is. I know I'm all for a good pitcher's duel sometimes and, and all that, but you know, at some time, at some point we, this had to happen because of the amount of pitchers that were getting hurt swinging the bat. I mean, Jack Flaherty did it last year and, and I mean, 
that's that's your number that's your ace that goes down doing that and so um i i I like dh i think um it's going to take a while for the nl to catch up in that aspect though because a lot of dhs that you see the jd martinez is the um the nelson cruises of the world they are all in the american league and so the nl is going to have to start working trades and free agency etc to start working in that dh into their lineup which obviously will be important. And I think it creates more of a fair playing ground for the world series as well. When you have a DH in every single game, instead of a pitcher batting in three, four games. No, I agree. Like it's, it's definitely going to increase that excitement also gives hitters more jobs to extend their career. Um, Although sometimes it's nothing more fun than a pitcher Homer. Like, (laughs) yes. You know, Granted, we won't be able to see Bartolo Colon hit another homer. But, you I'm know. okay with that, though. You know what? His one was enough for me. Yeah, I, right. I, I'm cool with it. But a, but a pitcher nuke every once in a while was always fun to see. Hey, we get uh, it with Shohei Otani. It's fine. <laughs> He's going to be the only one. Right? <laughs> like, we got to look at the record books like 20 years down the road and be like, hey, who's this pitcher that led everybody in home runs? And it's going to be Shohei. Um, no, but I, I mean, I get it, though, especially after – and it's a little touchy for me as a Cardinals fan because, yes, Flaherty was off to a great start, took a bad swing, hurt his oblique, was not the same for the rest of the year. A um, couple years ago, Wainwright uh, tore his Achilles coming out of the box after taking a swing. Uh, Zach Gallon this year hurt his uh, hand or shoulder, you know, with it. So, yes, you, you look at the positives for it. Um, although me being more of a National League guy at heart, you know, some of that strategy goes away now. You know, some of that small ball stuff, uh, you know, being, guys being able to bunt, moving guys around, playing a different brand to a degree. But I'd definitely be excited to see more offense potentially come. But also that deals with guys being able to hit the ball and not striking out as much. So um, all in all, it, it'll be a fun you know aspect because the, the 2020 shortened season was actually pretty exciting to see, you know, a little bit more offense with the DH there and and being able to rock those things out. So mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah, I am too. Which which also gives me a reason to drop a shameless like plea to the Cardinals. Please bring back Albert Pujols. <laughs> Let him finish his career in St. Louis where he, he can actually be a DH now. They don't have to he stick can. in the field. He can, he can be a DH versus lefties and he still rakes against lefties. Yep. Let him, Bueno, and Yachty ride out into the sunset together. So they can get their gold jackets uh, or they don't give gold jackets, but they can get their plaques in uh, Cooperstown together. But they can also get their red jackets together as Cardinal Hall of Famers. So yep. Please, please, St. Louis, do, do me that one solid. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm all for that. Um, all right. Let's go into some prospect stuff. So um, top prospects who finish first or second in rookie of the year voting will automatically receive that full year of service. So even if they come up in June and they hit 30 home runs in the last three, four months of the season, they still get that uh, full year of, of, of service time, which benefits them and not the owners. So another thing that helps the players out, which is good. Mm-hmm. We, we like this. We need more of the players being benefited here because the last CBA was literally all owners. So um, this is good. Um, ro- uh, prospects uh, getting getting um, the credit that they deserve for being, well, good. Yeah. 
No, I, I definitely agree. Like it's a it's a win all around. You know, those guys, like again, Wander would have been credit for a year. The biggest thing about it though is you go ahead and get that year, you get credit for a full year, you're that much closer to free agency mm-hmm. where you're gonna start making some real money. So I mean, granted, yes, you get that bump for being a top 100 player statistically from the pre-arbitration pool. You get that bump, but then you also get um, a full year service that kicks you up a little bit more. Um, so now your arbitration comps, when it comes down to it, is a little bit different um, as opposed to what it would be before, you know, had you not finished, you know, up there. So uh, or at least looked at it as a full time or as four years of service. So I like it. Yeah. I'm here for it. Uh, me as well. Um, second thing on the. Uh, prospects, uh, clubs promoting top prospects to the opening day rosters will be eligible to receive draft picks. Uh, so compensatory draft picks in that, in that round at the end of the first, um, if the player finishes in the top three in rookie of the year voting or top five in MVP or Cy Young voting. So again, that now the team is getting benefited if that player does well. And they bring them up without manipulating the service time. It's brilliant. This is this is exactly what we've asked for as fans of MLB and fans of these prospects that we want to see on opening day, but all of a sudden we can't. Yeah, the the only thing that and I'm all for this one. Like I'm all for it. I just question how are we going to turn basically to one flat out or one like this deciding governing body as far as the top prospects, right? So someone may be someone may be a top prospect, you know, on one for for baseball America, they may be a top 10, but in the MLB ratings, they're number 15, right? So where are we splitting the hairs at on that one? Um that one I want to see actually more in action to see, like to kind of get a better feel for it. But like I said, it's, you know, being able to know where guys slot in it or who's going to be the judge of that to say, hey, he's the top prospect that's there for opening day. Yeah, I'm excited because this could mean for me, at least, that maybe Riley Green is going to be up on opening day for the Tigers. And I know that would be very exciting to see for me. And I think Torque will be shortly thereafter. Um, I, I don't think he's going to come up opening day, but um, I think they're going to see how they compete in the first maybe month of the season or so, and then maybe bring him up. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, but that's, that's again, another story for another day. I just get excited when talking about it. So uh, last thing here, and then we can move away from this boring crap that no one really cares to talk about or hear about. We It's just, you know, it's part of our job as podcasters. We have to talk about it because you know what? We have to simplify it for people because every all the talking heads on TV they um, they they use all these fancy terms for all this stuff that even I don't really understand. So I have to go online. I have to Google all this stuff and be like, okay, here's the layman's terms of it, and here's how I can bring it to you guys as listeners. And so yeah. they use uh, terms like. They use terms like war. They completely confuse me of what. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're just the old guy on the stoop. <laughs> yeah, his FIP would have got him an extra 30000 Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't care about that. Is it, can, it, can he throw strikes? Right? I love it. I love it. Um, all right. Last thing here, and this is uh, interesting. And this can warrant a bigger conversation here. Um mm-hmm. It's an expanded postseason. 
So we have 12 teams instead of 10. Mm-hmm. And now the two, the top two division winners in each league receive a first round bye. Mm-hmm. So now there is basically practically zero in like if you are third in the league and you won your division, there's zero reward for that. Practically. You're playing, you're now playing three series to get to the World Series instead of two, and you won your division. Yeah. It's tough. It, it, it sucks. Well, it, it really does. It sucks. Well, if you win your division, I think you, I think no matter what, like, I believe that you should be rewarded the same as everyone else that won their division. If, if you go to this aspect, I think you should just have no divisions. I think you should just have two leagues, period, like the NBA has. I mean, I can I can kind of give you that, but I, okay to not draw this out, right? NBA does have just two leagues, but they still have the divisions there. So winning your division still matters, you know, for the NBA, but it just turns into overall seeding one through eight. So yet winning your division sort of like a participation trophy in a lot of ways, practically. But but you know, you still basically what that comes down to is that your seeding obviously is going to be higher than someone else, you know, who made it from your division. Even if you have three teams from your division, make the playoffs, like you're going to get that higher, you know, that higher seed because you won the division. Um, I think in this format, I, I like it. I, I wish they would have gave more details as far as how long the rounds will be because it flashes right back to go ahead. I believe the first rounds will be three games mm-hmm. each and then I think it goes to five and seven, 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 which makes sense. Like uh, to me, it's basically just 2020, the COVID shortened season all over again, which I'm fine with that. Right. But if you look at it and you say, OK, the top two division winners where you say, hey, they should all have an equal playing ground. I, I slightly disagree. Look at it from a standpoint of, um, gosh, who, who won the, uh, the NL East, the the Braves, Braves won the NL East, yeah, and they ended right. up winning the World Series. In case right. you forgot but, that after all this mess. True. <laughs> the crazy part was I was driving to work, and I was like, man, who played in the World Series this past year? <laughs> like, I had to Google it like I didn't know. Um, but you can't – I don't think that you can say in good conscience that they deserve, as a division winner, the same break that the Dodgers did for having the best record in baseball. Like, yes, they're two division winners, but – it's a difference in, in the divisions, right? But I, th- I think that comes down to home field advantage. I, I, I don't think you should have to play an extra round for winning your division. I, I, I don't know. I I liked – I was actually a fan of the one play-in game between the wildcard teams. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was unique to MLB where you have that one play-in game where it's do or die. You throw your best guy, and then you've got to basically scramble from there because you have you don't have your best guy until game three of the next series. So, like, as a wild card team, you're at a big disadvantage, as you should be, win your division, and you get rewarded. And I think that third best team should have to play the second best team in the first, in the yeah. next round, and the first best team gets the bye, and they play the wild card team. But I, I think where even where you say, "Hey, they're at a big disadvantage," let's let's just look at it from the context of of this year, like this past season. That would have left the Dodgers or the Giants playing a one game playoff to get in because all the division winners make it, they would have made it as that wild card team. And it's 
playing a one game playoff to get in, you know, winner take all, you know, you have that day where the Giants lay an egg, right? Were they really the worst team? I understand the excitement of it, but I think that if you look at it from a fairness standpoint, or at least you say, hey, let's make sure we get the best product on the field, because now, again, let's let's just throw all types of team names out there. <laughs> you get the Giants this year that are playing um, the Mets from last year, who just so happened to squeak in hypothetically, right? Mm-hmm. But the Mets are a severe disadvantage in the next series going against the Dodgers. Like, how does that make baseball better? It's not going to be that exciting because now they get ran through – 3-0, 4-0, and then you're like, dang, we missed out on the chance to have a better series. But I think that, you know, having the top two division winners, best records, have that buy, I would prefer that, at least for time's sake of it, that that first round that's that's three games all be hosted by the home team again. Like, I don't really care too much for, like, the 1-1-1. No, it should be all three games are hosted by the top seed that first round, and then it splits up you know, and you go home and away for, for the next one. Um, but obviously more teams getting in. So if you look at it, best way to explain it, top two teams from each division, I think, you know, get in. I don't see how else you can do that. So, I mean, yes, you run into that chance of, again, if the Padres were good, uh, Padres, Giants, and and Dodgers, one of them might miss it because they finished third in the division. But yeah, that's a chance you risk. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't really have have any more regarding the uh, postseason. It's again, it's kind of a minor aspect of a larger deal that, in our reality, we're playing baseball again, and I, I'm, I'm just happy to see a postseason again. Right. I'd say at, at this point. So, um, but. We can't have a postseason without filling the rosters, so let's get to free agency. We have a list, thankfully, provided by Odyssey um, that came out. They came out with the top 25 free agents in their um, in their in their minds, and let's start. Uh, these are the ones that have not signed yet, and well. Nobody's signed yet, so this is good. Um, we'll start with shortstop uh, Andrelton Simmons. He's listed at number 25 on their uh, top 25. Um, Simmons shortstop uh, had a okay season, but um, yeah. He was with the Twins. Nobody really had a good season with the Twins last year. Um, so, I mean, it's more so who wants a good defensive shortstop that's going to hit reasonably to poor somewhere in, in there, never really well. Um, but he is a defensive wizard, and that is always helpful. So uh, what what you got? Same as you. I mean, it he'll be a nice consolation prize for one of the big shortstop teams that are missing out, or he's going to be a – trade piece, you know, for a rebuilding team that's like, hey, come play for us, have a good start, and then we can flip you for more prospects later. Yeah, yeah. Who you got him going to? Ooh, boy, starting at a shortstop on the bottom end of things. Um, He fits me more as like an Orioles guy right now. And granted, that's extremely early to say 
you know, this far, like this early into free agency without some of the bigger names falling. But he fits me more of like an Orioles guy that they can bring in. And, you know, if he plays well in a one-year deal, get traded to a contender, um, you know, down the stretch. But I don't know. He doesn't really move the needle enough for me to try to put him on a contender to start off. Hear, hear me out here. Mm-hmm. I think the Yankees, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, much previewing the rest of this episode. Um, I think the Yankees whiff on Correa and Story. Spoiler. I, th- I think they get Andrelton Simmons. Claver Torres was abysmal at shortstop for them. Defensively more so than offensively, but offensively as well. He was terrible last year. I think Andrelton Simmons is what they need at shortstop. They need that at least in their in their minds, we all know that Jeter was overrated in the field, but that's a conversation for another day. In their minds, they need that Jeter shortstop again. That can maybe get you a hit. And Jordan Simmons, if you look at him, just just watch him hit and watch yeah. him field. He's literally a clone of Derek Jeter. Um, yeah. like he, he almost the exact same batting stance down to the swing, everything. Like he's almost a clone of Derek Jeter, uh, just a better fielder. And I think the Yankees need that. They have enough power in their lineup. That's no question. They look at their outfield. They're all like 6'12". I mean, they're huge. Um, but I think that defensive shortstop where he can just be the field general out there and be the guy they can rely on. He's going to field you a ground ball. He's going to catch a pop-up, and he'll turn a couple double plays while he's at it. I think he's a good fit in New York where they don't have to make that splash at shortstop, and they could go elsewhere. Not not bad. I, I see the Yankees probably trading for shortstop. I, I do think they whiff on Correa and Story, um, but I see them trading for a shortstop. Can't really pinpoint one right now. Actually, I have one in mind, two, one in mind, but we'll wait until I give a prediction for something else. <laughs> to, Sounds to, good. To spoil it. Um, let's go to number 24, Josh Harrison. So very much a utility player won the world series with the nationals in 2019 was with the A's last season. Uh, where, where do we see Josh Harrison going? Um, he really can fit anywhere, anywhere, anywhere on anybody's bench or even probably slot into second base somewhere for anybody. Um, snapshot, I would say, the Angels. I say the Angels because he can fit sort of like a Howie Kendrick type role, right? I mean, yes, Kendrick towards the end of his career was kind of relegated in positions, but I think that Josh Harrison can give you a lot of versatility there that allows for him to move around and to help you know, their infield that if Rendon struggles or if he's, you know, working back from injury, he can play third. Uh, he can fill in it short. Uh, you know, Fletcher's not, you know, if, you, if you're more comfortable with Fletcher at second, you know, you can fill in there. He can play either corner spot, you know, because you got that guy Trout in center. But I think that he would be a good fit for them um, and also bring some uh, leadership and presence about him. So that's snapshot where I think for him. That uh, that guy, that guy Trout out there in center field is pretty good, huh? Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. Um... Uh, just off the top of my head, I, I think he might. I think I think the Phillies would be a decent spot for him. I think yeah. he'd be a pretty solid bat uh, at second baseman that can rival Gene Segura on the opposite side of second base. And um, I, 
I, I don't I don't think it'd be a bad fit for him. He can play all around the infield. They love that. That he can play all around the outfield. I think they would love that. And they're probably going to lose Andrew McCutcheon this year. So that's an outfielder that can be gone. He can really fill a left field role. Um, I think they are looking for that kind of utility man like that and and maybe help him compete in that NL East. Sure. Um down to number 23, a former Philly, actually, and I did not expect him to, to be on this list, is uh, Brad Miller. Uh, th- this guy uh, has all the power in the world, yet um, I feel like he is – I feel like no one's heard his name in probably three, four years. Um, he he split the last two seasons between the Cardinals and the Phillies. He was on the Cardinals uh, before and uh, was with the Phillies as well. Hit 27 home runs, posted a near 800 OPS in 188 games, so pretty solid. Um, more of a DH-type player, not really a second baseman anymore. But um, I can go ahead and start this one out. I, I think he fills that Matt Carpenter role with the Cardinals. I think he becomes a bench bat DH guy for the Cardinals. Um. Please, please not again. Um, you need a DH. And we, we got some options there, and he's not one. <laughs> he's not one of them. Uh, <laughs> please not. Which, all respect to Brad Miller, he was solid the year he played for us. He had some good streaks, but now I'm cool on that. Uh, especially when you compare him to Matt Carpenter, which the Matt Carpenter I had to see the last few years. I don't want any <laughs> resemblance of that. Um, now, to, to me, snap quick. Quick thought, uh, Red Sox. Yeah, Red Sox, I like it. He can, obviously, he can he can play first a little bit for you. Um, you know, maybe a good platoon guy there. Um, at first, you know, you can fill some spots in the outfield. If nothing else, be a, be a DH that can swing it for you, um, you know, in those moments. So that, that would be my first thought. But at the same time, it wasn't like Brad Miller was somebody I was like, Hey, who could I see him going to? <laughs> like, I didn't think that when I seen this list of top 25, he was not on my list <laughs> of people that I thought about. So me either me either. Um, next is a former closer turned, uh, uh, setup man, uh, went from the Cubs to the South side in Chicago to the white Sox. Um, Ryan Tapera. He posted a 279 last year in 65 appearances. Um, he got to the White Sox with like a 1-8 ERA for the Cubs. He was ridiculous, and the Cubs just ended up selling at the deadline, like we all know. And uh, he he became basically the setup man for Craig Kimbrell down in the back end of that bullpen. Craig Kimbrell and Liam, uh, Liam Hendricks, which we know they split time, and they created that monster of a bullpen they had and still couldn't get past the first round. Uh, unbelievable to me. But Ryan Tapera, um, I I think I'm going to go with my second pick for this team. I'm going to go with the Yankees. I think the Yankees need to make a splash in the bullpen. That is not a role as Chapman because he is hit or miss, and I think they need a consistent closer. Okay. Um, so just because I've already peeked at the list, these next two guys are going to sound the same to me, but um, Tapera would be great in St. Louis. Um, his stuff allows for him to – obviously, he's going to get some swings and misses, but, you know, to have to throw with that defense behind you late in the game, you know, he, he would fit right in. 
And the thing that the Cardinals, you know, needed more than anything last year was depth, you know, pitching wise, especially in the bullpen. I mean, we got lucky on some guys late in the year, um, but to bring in a proven guy like this, that's probably not going to command a huge deal um, would be ideal because he doesn't have to come in and be a closer, right? Like, yes, he can close some games for us, but he doesn't have to come in with that weight of being the closer. He can still be in those high leverage roles uh, to, to swing it for us. I can get behind that. I think Jordan Hicks, if he can come back healthy this year, that'll be fun. Obviously, Giovanni Gallegos had a good year last year. He can also be fun. Um, and who knows if Andrew Miller's still kicking it next year. Maybe uh, yeah, he can kick it somewhere else. Him and Matt Carpenter can. <laughs> kick it somewhere else. I love it. All right. If, uh, if Reyes can stop hanging curveballs, then he might be all right. Yeah, right. I don't know if Chris Taylor's ball still has landed yet in the Dodger Stadium, but. Because that ball was blasted last yeah. year. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on to another reliever. Uh, Joe Kelly was with the Dodgers last year. Um. Posted a two six seven ERA across sixty appearances, and uh, the Dodgers declined his twelve million dollar option for twenty twenty two. I think he actually ends up going back to the Dodgers. I have him making another reunion. Um, St. Louis. Ah. I, I think I think that the Cardinals would get one one of the two. I don't think they'll get both with Tapere and Kelly, but I think that one of those two will end up in St. Louis. Um, his stuff just I'm mean, obviously his stuff is just absolutely nasty. But again, he can just come and do what he's been comfortable doing lately. We had him as a starter. When we, when we traded him to Boston, he became a reliever. Um, but he was looked at to possibly be a closer type. But then when he went to the Dodgers, it was just like, hey, try him out there any inning and and get what you, you know, get what you get out of him, you know, get a solid inning or two. Um, so I think that that'll be a similar thing for him in St. Louis. Again, not having to come in with the pressure of being the closer, um, but just coming in, being efficient, throwing strikes. Because when guys make contact off of him, it's not hard contact. And again, you have arguably the best defense in all the baseball playing behind you. Um, you know, so I think that he's another fit there. So between those two, um, one of them is going to be in St. Louis. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on here to a guy that was so highly touted in the prospect system and coming up with the Cardinals, uh, Tommy Pham. Uh, so he, uh, is approaching his mid thirties. So he's not probably not going to get a long deal. Uh, I was with the Padres for the last couple of years. Um, he did hit. 15 homers um, and posted a 340 on base percentage. So he's still a little bit valuable on that side, but um, I would think he might be a DH at this point. He's not a great left fielder anymore. Um, It's not very good defensively. So I think he could become a DH ish somewhere. And I am going to throw an egg at the wall and hope it sticks. I don't even know if that analogy made sense. 
It didn't, but we'll go with it. Because <laughs> the egg would crack, but it's cool. Right. The, what about like the pickle? Don't don't you do you what um what is it you throw at a wall and uh, you wait for it to slide down? You know the game they used to play. You used to play? Uh, at least noodles when I make spaghetti. Like noodles, that's how right. I put the noodle. That's how I know the noodle are done. I throw it at the wall. If it sticks, it's good to go. If not, you know what? Then... I will throw it at the wall and hope it sticks. <laughs> it here. sticks. Fair um, I'm gonna go with the Miami Marlins. I think they could use a guy like Tommy Pham, a veteran in the clubhouse. And they've got a lot of young guys coming up, especially on the pitching side of things, which obviously Tommy Pham has zero uh, next to zero impact on the pitchers. But I think he could help out the hitters quite a bit. He can be an option in left field form and and DH a little bit if, if need be. I think Aguilar might be that DH that they're looking for. I don't think they want him playing first base anymore. But um, I, I think Tommy Pham could be a pretty decent fit in Miami. Um, I'll stay in that division, but I'm going to go with Atlanta. Ooh, I, think I like that, that. I think that he's a good rotational option at this point. Um, you know, you got Acuna working himself back. Um, you still got Jorge uh, Soler and Eddie Rosario, who helped you win a World Series last year, that aren't signed. Jack Peterson's going to be gone as a free agent. Um so even if you're just looking for a steady veteran presence there, plus you don't know what's going on with Marcelo Zuna, um, he could be just a nice good fourth or fifth outfielder there. He's probably, at least for this year, on like a prove-it type of deal. Um, you know, being in his mid-30s with the health situation that he's had, um, that wouldn't be a bad spot for him to land. Can be impactful, especially late in games. Um, still does a good job of getting on base. He works some good at-bats. Um you know, and he plays with a he plays with a fire that I think that, you know, is going to carry over to, to other players. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I like that. I do. I like that. Um, next one, Michael Pineda uh, had a pretty good season. He was maybe the lone bright spot on the Twins last year. Maybe. Um, Maybe Jorge Polanco, but uh, Pineda posted a 3.62 ERA in 109 and a third innings. He's only 33, so he's got some years to him left. Um, obviously, had some issues in New York with the pine tar in the neck, et cetera. Was a little bit uh, disliked, but um, I think he goes back to the AL East. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay as as a place for him. They they they're looking to shop Glass now potentially. And I, I don't know if anything's going to come about that, but I think he could be a solid middle rotation guy for them. And maybe that, maybe in the number two to glass now uh, in terms of just eating innings. Uh, I know they use the opener quite a bit, but um, in terms of, of two guys that can eat innings, I think glass now and uh, Pineda could be the two for them. Um, I got him going back to Minnesota. I, th- I think that that's probably more of a him preference than than anything. Like that's probably where he's been the most successful. Um, so to stay there at least for another year or two. Um, but yeah, that's where I got him going. Alrighty, uh, moving on. Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, I don't know. He's he's old. Um, but he was really, really good against left-handed pitching. Apparently, I did a thousand twenty-seven OPS against left-handed pitching for the Phillies. So, um, a team that can use a bat against left-handed pitching—I have no idea. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. I got to think about this. 
Um, for the same reasons that you mentioned for Tommy Pham to the Marlins, I'm going to give those same reasons to, to Kutch um, and send him to the Marlins. I think that he would fit for those same reasons that you gave Pham. He just has a little bit more cachet, obviously, with the MVP on his resume, um, you know, to help that young club. Um, not that they're necessarily needing him against lefties, but, you know, he can still be that veteran presence for a young team that's on the come up, you know, this year and, and kind of slide in there to, to stabilize in some ways left field to a degree, but also be that DH and just be that veteran presence. I'm going to go to the Padres. You lose Tommy Pham. I think they're going to bring in another older outfielder. Um, I think I think I think McCutcheon could be that guy short term, very short term. Yeah. I think he ends his career in in, um, in Pittsburgh. I think I think he'll maybe sign like a one year contract in Pittsburgh to end his career. Um, but I think um, I think San Diego would be a pretty solid fit for him. I can see that. Um, all right, moving on here, you say Kikuchi, a guy who had a really good year last year, but it was very surprising that um, Kikuchi actually declined his own $13 million option for 2022. Um, he was really good for the first half of the year. Um, that was 3-4 ADRA in 16 starts and then posted a near 6 ERA in his ensuing 13 starts after the All-Star break. So horrendous after the All-Star break. Yeah. Um, but maybe maybe a change of scenery might help him. Um, I, I think Stevie Cohen throws some money at him. I'm going to go with the Mets. Uh, I'm going to go with the, with the Blue Jays. Go with the Blue Jays on that one. Um, for the little that I know of him, like most, most, and this is not to sound racy or anything like that, but most Japanese players tend to have a good relationship when they come over. Right. So you got Ryu that's still there, um, that he's seen the success that Ryu's had that possibly he can piggyback off of that, but it also slides into being fourth or fifth starter there, uh, to give them, you know, a little bit more depth behind, Gaussman, Barrios, Ryu, you pencil him in there at four or five. You know, he can kind of slip under the radar and and, and have a decent year. Uh, but I'll go with the Blue Jays. All right. Um, moving on to number 16, Eddie Rosario, the NLCS MVP and World Series champion with the Atlanta Braves. He batted 383 in the postseason. And in 33 games with the Braves during the regular season, he, he had a 903 OPS. He was very, very good. Um, I am fully ready to say the Braves are going to welcome him on back into Atlanta, Georgia and, um, and sign him to a deal. I think as much as they will be ready to welcome him, I see him going to San Diego. That'd be a pretty solid fit for him. Yeah. Being in San Diego, I think, would give him that boost that he needs, like, to kind of carry him on for, like, another few years. Yeah. Right? Because it's sort of like, no matter – yes, they can bring him back to Atlanta, but it's like (laughs) the chances of him living up to or playing to that level that he played in, you know, down the stretch, probably not likely. 
Um, so I see him going somewhere where he's like, hey, look, like I'm just ready to play. Um, and San Diego could very well be that place. He sets the table. You can either put him in front of guys like Tatis and Machado, or you can slide him behind those guys and allow him to clean up, you know, and get some extra RBIs out of it. But um, pretty decent, you know, in the field. But also you get benefited by that weird left field Petco, um, you know, allow him to just kind of go out and rake. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Older guy again, Zach Greinke, Um is very near the end, but he is still a serviceable guy. Um, had a 416 ERA across 171 innings last year. Um, so he will eat innings for you. He'll get you about five innings an outing. But at the end of the day, he is old. So, um, I, th- I think he's going to go back where um, he started to make a name for himself, and I'm going to go Kansas City. I think Kansas City would like to add a veteran guy to that staff, and I think that would be a pretty good fit for him. Oddly enough, we were on the same page on that one. Yeah. Kansas City. Yeah, I think, I think Kansas City would be a good fit for him. I miss seeing him in a Kansas City uniform. He was nasty in KC. Ooh. Yeah, now all of a sudden he'll tick up his velocity instead of throwing eighty nine, he'll throw ninety. I'm about to say what he was he was like ninety seven in Kansas City too. Like right. he was, oh man, he's Disgusting. so good. So Disgusting. good. Um, all right. Well, uh let's roll with the World Series MVP now at number fourteen, Jorge Soler. Very likely to be a DH somewhere, um, as he was in that postseason, and he um hit the shot heard around the world. In um, in Minute Maid Park in that World Series uh, final game, so uh, Jorge Soler, I don't think he's going to go back to Atlanta. However, he's not going to be required a lot of money. Um, I I don't think so, at least because he didn't really perform outside of Atlanta. No. Uh, he's going to hit you probably thirty plus home runs, but he's not going to bat anywhere close for average. So, uh. But oddly enough, in today's game, that's what gets him paid more. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. Ooh, um, I'm gonna say the Cubs. Hmm. I'm gonna say the Cubs. Um, even if it's on a short one to two year deal but their weakness in some ways, like you can't expect David Bodie, who's like 30 already to keep, you know, to just keep breaking out. Right. Like he's probably reached his ceiling there. Um, but so there would be a good piece to throw in the middle of a lineup. Um, you know, like say he's not going to play great defense, but that boomer bust potential for him at the plate um, may be enticing for them as they are trying to not necessarily, rebuild but just kind of retool after they sold off last year um so i think he may be a good fit there i'm gonna go with texas texas is adding a lot of pieces and i think a d a dh who won the world series and was world series mvp would be a pretty solid fit for a team who's trying to get out of rebuild mode yeah. and so um obviously they signed seager and um and uh simeon and i don't think they're done 
Uh, I think they have a little bit more to spend. So we will uh, we will have to see about that. So uh, moving on here, uh, first baseman who was in New York, uh, Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo, obviously, longtime Cubs first baseman. Um, a lot of first basemen still on the market here, including uh, one that's a trade bait and Matt Olson. Um, Anthony Rizzo is one of those who is a um, who is in the free agent market. So. I think he's going back to Chicago. I think I think he goes to the Cubs. I wouldn't be surprised um, for him to go back there. Um, kind of torn on him on two places. I'm gonna throw them both out there and then kind of narrow down from there. Um, the Rangers are, are one. The Rangers are one because I think that right now they're trying to make it win now, right? So you got Nate Lowe over there who had a pretty decent year. But if you can upgrade defensively and get some more consistent at bats, you know, especially with you spending that money for um, for Seager and for um, and Simeon, if nothing else, if you bring in Rizzo, then Nate Lowe can get you some guys back to kind of fill out the rest of that team. Um, or the other one that I'm looking at is Boston. Um, they need a first baseman. And, you know, just shifting over <laughs> in the division, I think that, you know, he would fit there. You know, obviously he got drafted by them, came up to a degree with them before he got sent to San Diego, that if they can get a chance to bring him back and add his presence into that lineup, um, you know, and taking advantage of their short right field, you know, but he also hits the ball well to all fields, um, that he would be a good fit for either one. But if I had to all pick, right. if I had to pick, say Boston. All right. Uh, moving on here to very well-known Dodgers closer, Kenley Jansen. Um. I don't see him leaving LA. I, I I don't think the Dodgers would be dumb enough to let him go, but beats me. Yeah, I, I see him going back to, to LA. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh that one does not require much. Uh number eleven, Nelson Cruz. Again, I don't have him going anywhere. I think he stays in Tampa Bay. I actually see him going back to Minnesota. I see him going back to Minnesota. Um, if nothing else, it just regains. Because, like, he, I mean, granted, he was still – we also have taken context that he's, like, 40-some years old. But um, it wasn't like he just went and down to Tampa and became – and was still the same Nelson Cruz. So I think for him, it might just be a matter of familiarity at this point and going back to the Twins – you know, could, could provide that for him. Um, I don't know. Like he, again, he's not somebody on my radar and I'm like, Oh, you know, he just has to go to this particular team. You kind of know what you're going to get, but you also are still wondering, Hey, when are the wheels going to fall off of it? Cause he's 41. He's not going to hit you 50 homers every year anymore, you know, or even 40, you know I mean? Granted, he'll probably still get you 25 to 30 this year, but I don't know. I just don't see him really 
going anywhere else between those two teams. But I saw say Minnesota. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, Seiya Suzuki. He is the um, Japanese player that's coming over. He is an outfielder. Um, he uh, his 30 day posting was paused during the work stoppage. Um, however, uh, he batted 319 with 38 home runs, 86 walks, and 131 games in this past season in Japan. So, um, I think he could be a very big outfield uh, acquisition for anybody who, who is in the market for one. I will let you go first on this one. Yeah, two West Coast teams in mind. I'm gonna go the Angels. Go to I'm gonna go Angels. Hmm. I I think that you know having because of because of the grant his hype isn't as much as Shohei, right? But you're having him come in with somebody that he's familiar with or can get familiar with, you know, makes that transition a little bit easier to allow for him to get more comfortable to be successful. Um, you know, but then you also put him in that lineup where he's protected, you know, quite a bit, and he's not expected to kind of carry off of his reputation from Japan, you know, and what you get from him in a lot of ways is a huge bonus. Um, but put him in that lineup with Trout, Rendon, Walsh, um, maybe Joe Adele, you know, who's out there, or Brandon Marsh, even if he slides in as a DH, you know, on the days that Otani's pitching or whatnot, or somehow or another figuring that configuration out. But as for as much investment as the Angels made in pitching, I think that they try to make this splash and bring him over. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox. I think this can be their free agent splash that they make. They're losing to Para, and I think um, I think Suzuki can be can be an option for him in that outfield. I can see that. Yeah, alongside <laughs> alongside Jimenez and and uh, Robert, I think they could be a pretty pretty decent piece. So I'm actually going to double down on the Angels one and say that they sign him and in turn trade either Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh to get some pitching, Hmm. some pitching depth there, because those one of those two guys, probably Adele, because he had a better ending of last year, could probably fetch you more. Or if you want to keep him and say, hey, we'll we'll keep Adele and move Brandon Marsh. um, That you can get some more pitching, you know, back for him, you know, from some of these teams. So um, I'm going to double down on that, on that Angels one. All right, let's move on to the guy who had the best month of June in my recent memory. Uh, number nine on this list, Kyle Schwarber. Um, I believe he is going to stay in a Red Sox uniform for another year. I think it'll be a one-year deal, though. Uh, I'm going to go... Okay. If if the Cubs don't get Solaire, then Schwarber could go back. 
Okay. That's where I'm going. Okay. So if they if they now if they do, then I see the Phillies also being an option there. Um, but you know, I his market, I mean, it his market has died down so much since you know the time where the Cubs could have traded him and got like a huge haul for him. Um, you know, and he's had some injury concerns or whatever that I think the teams shy away just a little bit. Um Again, I don't think it's a big money deal, but I think that, you know, I can see him going back to the Cubs or going to the Phillies. But if I had to pick one, I'm actually going to switch and say the Phillies. All right. All right. Phillies are an interesting one there. Um, Moving on here to a Mets guy that the Mets Mets very much lost faith in, uh, outfielder Michael Conforto. He is entering his age 29 year, had an 875 OPS between 2019 or 2019 and 2020. I think he would get a maybe term deal, but also could maybe get a one or two year deal to bridge into that long-term deal. Um, Where do you see Conforto going? (laughs) Phillies. Think, wow. I, I think I think Philly's more so from the fact that their only consistent outfitter that they have is Bryce Harper, right? So, yes, I'd put Schwarber over there too, but he's going to fill in at DH. But if you say, hey, for another bat in that lineup, it gives you some consistent at-bats when he's healthy. Um, Conforto, because he kind of starts to stabilize at least the outfit. Even if you put him in left, then the only real weak spot you have in your outfield is center um, to figure out um, but I could see him going there somewhat of a prove it deal, maybe one to two years. I don't see him getting long-term money right now. Uh, but yeah, I fill in, fill in the Phillies. I'm going to go with a team that we haven't even mentioned tonight. I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Brewers. I I don't know why they were just the first team that kind of popped into my head. And, um, I think this can be this can be their one splash that they make in free agency all year that they do every single year. They just make one one play in free agency and go along with their business, win the NL Central, and and uh, not this year, buddy. Not right, this year. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, now that being you know third and or the winning a division just doesn't even matter anymore but um right. the the uh brewers i think i think can land uh, conforto moving on and here's where we get to the big dogs uh clayton kershaw i am going to go ahead and say that he is going to the texas rangers because i think he wants to go back home i think his home is in um LA and that's where he's going to go back to. I think he's going to go back to LA. They're, they're probably in the, they're probably going to overpay for, him, but it's going to, it's going to be enough to, to make him stay. Um, he doesn't have to be, I think that for him as much of a competitor as he is, I think he knows that he's not number one and number two right now. Right. Like if he's honest about it, he knows he doesn't have number one and number two, not necessarily from a stuff perspective, but the durability and the reliability of that. 
that I think that him going back to LA allows him to just slide in. And I mean, trust me, you, you can do a lot worse at, at Kershaw at three in your rotation. Um, but I think that's more so where he slides in at is going back to LA and finishing out there. All right. Uh, and, yeah. and, and the fact that his really good friend, Matt Stafford, who's also his like high school teammate and buddy, just won a Super Bowl with the Rams, yep. you know, that it's going to feel like home in a lot of ways because he has his buddy out there and, you know, he's going to get a chance to finish out there on a chance to go out with a winner um, instead of possibly having to fight that battle uphill again. You're already at the top of the hill, you know, just kind of having to hold off people instead of fighting your way up that, that entire hill. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right, let's move on to Carlos Rodon. This is a big fish in the market right now. Um, if I had it my way, I would say the Detroit Tigers. I would love for the Tigers to sign Rodon. However, I do not think it will happen. Um, I think it is almost all but certain, at least in my mind, that he will go to the Boston Red Sox. Ooh. I got him going out west to the Angels. Similar deal as Syndergaard. Maybe tack on another year, but I I think that they're going to try to go for him because that then throws Shohei, Noah Syndergaard, and then Carlos Rodon. That's a formidable one, two, three. Um, so that's where I got him going. All right. I really hope he signs with the Tigers, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we will see. All right. Uh, speaking of Tigers, former Tiger Nick Castellanos will be a DH somewhere because, good Lord, do not stick him in the outfield, please. Uh, he's one of the worst defenders that I have ever seen, but he's uh, targeting a six, a seven or eight million, uh, excuse me, a seven or eight uh, year deal, which, um, Teams Good luck. might, yeah, <laughs> Good yeah, luck. yeah. I, a team is one for five or six years, I think, and they're probably very turned off by the fact of seven or eight years. Um, Asianos, oh, man. I forgot that I had said this. I think it was back in January that I said it. I'm going to go with the Miami Marlins. I'm right there. I, I, he was, I think he's, um, I think he's from Miami. He is. Um, I think the Miami Marlins, I, I think it's going to be some team in that division. I don't know why I just see him in the NLEs, whether it be the Mets, the Braves, or the Marlins. I think he's going into one of those three. Um, and I think the Marlins might be the best fit for him if he wants to go home. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that they're fine with, to a degree, putting Jesus Aguilar at first base. You know, I mean, he wasn't horrendous there, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I think that if you can bring in a guy like Castellanos to also throw in with Avisio Garcia, who you brought in, and um, Jesus Aguilar there, that you're, you know, not in a bad spot offensively. Um, so I can see him going there too. 
All right. Uh, moving on. More big fish is number four on the list uh, right now. And that is uh, Chris Bryant. So he went from the Cubs to the Giants at the trade deadline. And the teams that have all shown interest in Chris Bryant, according to John Hyman, are the New York Mets, the San Diego Padres, the Los Angeles Angels, Seattle Mariners, Colorado Rockies, Y, Philadelphia Phillies, and Houston Astros. I don't understand the Astros either on that one. Um, of those teams, at least. Mm-hmm. I think they finally, finally, finally get it done as they've wanted to for so long. And I think it's going to be the New York Mets. Uh, the Mets wanted Chris Bryant at the deadline so badly, and he chose the Giants. And it, it fooled everybody. No one thought he was going to the Giants. And I think Stevie Cohen's finally going to throw just enough money at him and be like, hey, come on to Queens. Let's <laughs> Let's let's be a part of this and probably end up on the injury table about three weeks into the season. But right, um, when you started that, I thought you were going a different team. I thought you were going to go Phillies with. I thought you were going to say finally him and Bryce get to play together. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm actually going to go with Seattle. I think that he makes a lot of sense for them. Um, I would Corey, love to see uh, Kyle Seager just retired. There's a huge opening at third base, but he also brings some versatility that he can cover outfield spot or even at first base if you needed him to. Um, but he also brings a big time presence to that lineup. Um, they can add some thump there to be able to help them out. So I, I got him going to the Mariners, who, which by the way, are my uh, American League West winners this year. I don't care what happens. They're going to win. Lord. We'll have to do that in. I guess like three, three weeks, weeks. three yeah. weeks, and we'll, we'll have to do season predictions. Holy moly. Um, by the way, it is still very much frustrating me that there has not been a single free agent signing yet. Um, it is frustrating me. Like, we are four hours into free agency. Why has no one signed yet, Mike? I don't understand. What is Scott Boris doing on a, on a Thursday night? He's celebrating <laughs> the fact that he got all of his big money players more money. Yeah, and this is going to be a, a, a chaos for it tomorrow. Oh, my Lord. We're, we're just going to get memes of Scott Boris just smiling. Like, it's uh, going to be dollar signs. He might as well get dollar signs engraved in his teeth. Yeah, that's right. What, that's all we're going to see is that with the money. Oh, my goodness. All right. Now let's go to this one. This, is a, this was a hot topic this afternoon. Uh, Freddie Freeman. He was number three on Odyssey's list of top 25. <laughs> Um, from the last uh, report, it's basically between the Yankees and the Braves. Other teams have shown interest, like Tampa Bay submitted an offer to him before the December 1st deadline. I believe the Dodgers did the same thing. Um, and I think maybe the Padres did the same. I cannot, I can't remember exactly who the last team was, but um, as of right now, though, it's likely that he will decide between the Yankees and the Braves. Um, I, I, I can't do it. I, I think he's going to stay in Atlanta. I, I, I can't bring myself to see Freddie Freeman in a Yankees uniform. So I am going to peg him 
in Atlanta. That sounded terrible. I am going to put him in Atlanta. <laughs> it is late on a Thursday night, folks. It is. I have been up scrolling Twitter for the past like eight hours, and I am about tired of um, not having free agency. Not having no. free agency. Like, so, no, I I'm just... not going to peg Freddie Freeman in Atlanta. Like, I had. Just got a, a Bleacher Report update. Like, a notification came through, and I, like, jumped to my phone thinking it was something baseball-related. It was just a basketball update. So I was like, oh, that's a downer. Um, but I, I have him going back to Atlanta, too. I think that even though we've heard free agents and stuff say before, or guys, as they're finishing up with a team, you know, say how much they would love to come back, when he did it after winning the World Series, it felt much more sincere, you know, that he wanted to be there. So I think that, it, you know, all things considered, if money is about the same, even a slightly less from Atlanta, I think that he would go back there. Um, he's their biggest. You can argue that he's their biggest icon in Atlanta since Chipper Jones. So to have him just kind of up and move teams where you have a chance to bring him back, especially if you're quabbling over one year of a deal. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I got him going back to Atlanta. I love it. I love it. I I, I hope he does. Um, but we will we will see. Uh, now let's go to one of the big two, one of the two big shortstops on the market. Let's go to the Colorado Rockies shortstop Trevor Story. He's basically the cheaper of the two between him and Correa. Um, he's not going to be quite as good as Correa, but in my opinion, I think he is a phenomenal baseball player. Very good defensive, um, Mm -hmm. very good runner can steal Mm -hmm. bags for you, can pop 30 home runs in a season. Mm -hmm. Um, and he'll probably bat around 270, maybe 280. Mm -hmm. He's a phenomenal shortstop and he is going to make every dollar that he deserves. Um, And with that, I am going to say that I have to keep thinking about it. So you go first. (laughs) Mine is is easy. Um, St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals. Um, Not just because he's one of the top free agents, but that also has some bonus to it. Um, he makes sense for us. Um, Paul DeYoung, even though he's an all-star, or has been an all-star, um, hadn't really been the same the last couple of years. Um, and Mondo Sosa, who's a, now going into his second year, definitely outplayed expectations last year. You knew he was good with his glove, but his bat, you know, and his speed played up. Um, but this is why when I said that I think the Yankees are going to miss on one of the big shortstops is because Story's going to come and play with his buddy, Arenado, who by some accounts has already been recruiting him, you know, even last year during the trade deadline, um, which would then in turn have the Yankees probably trading for one of our shortstops, which I'm fine with. Um, but I think that he makes sense there because of the reasons that you mentioned. Very good defense, so he's going to fit right in. Probably has a little bit more um, – the defensive attributes in some ways than a Paul DeYoung who's pegged as our starter right now. Um, obviously a better bat, you know, and going to be able to fit right in there. Um, so I think that it makes sense 
for St. Louis to spend on on him um, and then move and, and replenish some other areas with what you can get for, you know, DeYoung probably out of those two. But I'm definitely going to say that Trevor Story is going to be a St. Louis Cardinal. I mean, I can keep going if you need more time to think. Like no, of all the no, no, great no, no, no. in a in a corner uniform. <laughs> I, I I can I can do this. I can bring myself to do this. I promise you that I have thought this through in extent. And although it would be more beneficial in my opinion to do the other one, the other shortstop. I think the Detroit Tigers sign Trevor Story and trade Javi Baez to a different team. Okay. I'm curious to hear your theory on this one. I, I, like, I already know like slightly your bias against Javi Baez in this moment, but you literally just signed him before the deadline, like before the lockout. I believe that um, I, I think they know that Trevor Story is a better option at shortstop. He is a little bit more expensive, and they didn't want to go over that $300 million threshold. They saw what Corey Seager got in that $320 million contract, and they understand that due to analytics, due to stats, due to age, et cetera, all the factors, Trevor's story is not worth $300 million. He's worth about 270, 280, probably. And he is in his prime years. And he is more reliable than Javi Baez. And that reliability comes an extra $50 million added onto it. And that's Javi Baez got, I believe, 230. Um, and so now we look at Trevor Story as a 272 80 million dollar guy and I believe that they think that they rushed the signing of Javier Baez in order to get it done before the lockout. They thought they were not going to have him after the lockout so they went ahead and they got their first option before the lockout and I think they rushed it. However, Javier Baez after this market after this market, the shortstop market is so competitive right now between the Dodge or between the um, Yankees, between the uh, Angels, between the Cardinals, for example, all these teams, the Astros, between all these teams, it's so competitive that I think if the Tigers can get their better option in Trevor Story, they can get a decent package back for the cheapest of the four major shortstops in this free agent pool to go to a contending team. It's a tough one. I don't, I mean, I, I, I had 99 I, days to think about that, Mike. Yeah, I, I can tell. And you've given a lot of thought. <laughs> Get a lot of thought. I've wanted Carlos Correa for a long time, but I realized we're not going to pay $340 million. Right. I, I think that you guys will probably – obviously, I don't think that you guys are going to sign Story. Um, but even with the rationale that you were using, Javi got six years, 140. That even if you're saying, hey, we're only 140, trading. really? Yeah, six years. God, that makes him even more valuable yeah. than trade. 
But I really thought it was like so, 220. That's how long it's been since baseball has been right. a thing. But even if you look at story at what was the number you you I said probably 270. Okay. So that extra 130 could probably go towards some other positions that you guys are gonna have to fill in the next year or two. You got some big you got some pitchers that are coming up next year that maybe that space is better used there. Um and I think I you know what I think is gonna happen by the end of this year, Javi Baez is gonna grow on you as a shortstop for the Tigers. Even though he wasn't your first choice. He wasn't like my every, second or my third. Right. You know, probably not even my fourth, to be honest with you. Everybody wasn't as lucky to get their top choice to go to prom with them. Okay. You know what? I probably yeah. would have taken Nico Goodrum for another year over Javi Baez. Yeah. See, but like I said, everybody wasn't fortunate enough to have their number one option for prom say yes, right? So they had to settle for their third or fourth option, but they went to the prom, had a great time, right? And was like, oh, I never thought that I would have liked this person this much. And then they married their high school sweetheart, you know, they went to prom with who was their fourth option. But, you know, so I think that that's going to be you and Javi, you know, down the line that you're going to be like, you know what, I'm so glad that we got Javi Baez instead of overpaying for somebody else. That's my thought. And I'm hoping that for you. All right. All right. Well, we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Prom night um, is coming. Prom night is coming. <laughs> and here we go with the biggest fr- uh, fish uh, in the entire 2021-2022 free agent class, and that is Carlos Graham. Shortstop for the Astros. We all know his accolades. He's very, very, very good. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think this is the big splash that the Los Angeles Angels make in free agency. I think he stays out west and he goes to the division rival. I think he goes and plays with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And I think that maybe signing Carlos Correa could turn into trading Anthony Rendon for pitching. Not bad. Um, I have him. If you say if you if you would tell me, Mike, that he is going to be in pinstripes, I am ending this Zoom call right now, and I am just going to publish the podcast and cut out the last part of this. No, he he's not going there. He's going he's going back to Houston. <laughs> he's going back to Houston. Like I, <laughs> I think that for him right now is just that that part of being being wanted in some ways and it's going to drive up the price for Houston. Um, They know that a lot of their window of contention rests with him. You got Bregman locked up for a few years. So now you're just like, Hey, okay. Correa is the piece that kind of makes this all work. You know, we thought they were going to fall apart when Springer left or whatnot, but now you realize that it's Correa. That's really the engine that drives you. And I think that that's where he goes back. Uh, again, like I can see the Angels part, but there's so much uncertainty there because you're like, hey, again, if I can get paid 10 years, 300 million, <laughs> sometimes it wouldn't matter anywhere that you're going. 
But if you're saying, hey, I'm going back to Houston where I know we have a chance to compete for the playoffs, where we've been consistently and have a lot of that same core back, there's no reason for him to switch over to, you know, the Angels where they've struggled and it's still that thing of, are they going to have enough pitching? The offense can score you nine runs a game, but if the pitching gives up 10, then you're still screwed. Um, but I think that all of this will be for him, it will be anticlimactic and it will be back in Houston with, uh, with his buddies. there. All right. But I will throw this out there. He will sign a 10 year deal, but he will not finish that 10 year deal with any team that he signs signs with. I will see him getting traded by at worst, at worst, the fourth year of his deal. Very much, very much a rod when he went to Texas. Yeah. Great, great. Put up great numbers, but I think that he'll get traded uh, in the midst of that contract. All right. All right. I, I can, I could see that. I could see that. All right. Well, Mike, we shall come back to this next week when we are all, when we are wrong on all 25 prospects and Carlos Correa has signed with the Pittsburgh pirates for 10 years, $390 million as they outbid the New York Yankees for their franchise player. That's going to set them back eight years. (laughs) And he will be traded by the fourth year. Did you, did you write these down? No, I did it. I did it. I'm gonna go back and listen to it again and see and see uh, and see who we got. Yeah, we'll we'll have to we'll have to uh, when as as they come in we'll we'll fill out our Google Doc that we have and and we'll uh, see how right we were and yeah. and uh, and come back to it next week. But <laughs> now we have baseball back though. It's a beautiful time of year now. Spring training is coming, and the next time that we come to you, baseball will have been played in Florida and arizona so uh keep an eye out for that we are looking forward to it and uh we appreciate you listening to this and listening to us ramble on about free agents and collective bargaining agreements and we hope to never talk about that second one ever again so (laughs) i've been waiting to say this for a hundred and some days go cards Go Tigers, sign Trevor Story, trade Tommy Bias. That is the last of my words before free agency really becomes a frenzy. (laughs) Oh, man. We'll see you guys next week.